Chapter Two of Oscar Wilde: His Life and Confessions. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Geeson. Oscar Wilde: His Life and Confessions by Frank Harris. Chapter Two: Oscar Wilde as a Schoolboy. The Wildes had three children: two sons and a daughter. The first son was born in 1852, a year after the marriage, and was christened after his father, William Charles Kingsbury Wills. The second son was born two years later, in 1854, and the names given to him seem to reveal the nationalist sympathies and pride of his mother. He was christened Oscar Fingal O'Flaherty Wills Wilde but he appears to have suffered from the pompous string only in extreme youth. At school he concealed the Fingal. As a young man, he found it advisable to omit the O'Flaherty. In childhood and early boyhood, Oscar was not considered as quick or engaging or handsome as his brother, Willie. Both boys had the benefit of the best schooling of the time, they were sent as boarders to the Portora School at Enniskillen, one of the four royal schools of Ireland. Oscar went to Portora in 1864 at the age of nine, a couple of years after his brother. He remained at the school for seven years, and left it on winning an exhibition for Trinity College, Dublin, when he was just seventeen. The facts hitherto collected and published about Oscar as a schoolboy are sadly meagre and insignificant. Fortunately for my readers, I have received from Sir Edward Sullivan, who was a contemporary of Oscar both at school and college, an exceedingly vivid and interesting pen picture of the lad, one of those astounding masterpieces of portraiture only to be produced by the plastic sympathies of boyhood and the intimate intercourse of years lived in common it is love alone which in later life can achieve such a miracle of representment i am very glad to be allowed to publish this realistic miniature in the very words of the author I first met Oscar Wilde in the early part of 1868 at Portora Royal School. He was thirteen or fourteen years of age. His long, straight, fair hair was a striking feature of his appearance. He was then, as he remained for some years after, extremely boyish in nature, very mobile, almost restless when out of the schoolroom yet he took no part in the school games at any time now and then he would be seen in one of the school boats on loch erne yet he was a poor hand at an oar even as a schoolboy he was an excellent talker his descriptive power being far above the average and his humorous exaggerations of school occurrences always highly amusing a favourite place for the boys to sit and gossip in the late afternoon in winter-time was round a stove which stood in the stone hall. Here Oscar was at his best. 
although his brother Willie was perhaps in those days even better than he was at telling a story. Oscar would frequently vary the entertainment by giving us extremely quaint illustrations of holy people in stained-glass attitudes, his power of twisting his limbs into weird contortions being very great. I am told that Sir William Wilde, his father, possessed the same power. It must not be thought, however, that there was any suggestion of irreverence in the exhibition. At one of these gatherings, about the year 1870, I remember a discussion taking place about an ecclesiastical prosecution that made a considerable stir at the time. Oscar was present, and full of the mysterious nature of the Court of Arches. He told us there was nothing he would like better in after life than to be the hero of such a cause célèbre and to go down to posterity as the defendant in such a case as Regina versus Wilde. At school he was almost always called Oscar, but he had a nickname, Grey Crow, which the boys would call him when they wished to annoy him, and which he resented greatly. It was derived in some mysterious way from the name of an island in the upper Loch Erne within easy reach of school by boat. It was some little time before he left Portora that the boys got to know of his full name, Oscar Fingal O'Flaherty Wills Wilde. Just at the close of his school career he won the Carpenter Greek Testament Prize, and on presentation day was called up to the dais by Dr. Steele by all his names much to Oscar's annoyance, for a great deal of schoolboy chaff followed. He was always generous, kindly, good-tempered. I remember he and myself were on one occasion mounted as opposing jockeys on the backs of two bigger boys in what we called a tournament, held in one of the classrooms. Oscar and his horse were thrown and the result was a broken arm for Wilde. Knowing that it was an accident, he did not let it make any difference in our friendship. He had, I think, no very special chums while at school. I was perhaps as friendly with him all through as anybody, though his junior in class by a year. Willie Wilde was never very familiar with him, treating him always, in those days, as a younger brother. When in the head class together, we with two other boys were in the town of Enniskillen one afternoon, and formed part of an audience who were listening to a street orator. One of us, for the fun of the thing, got near the speaker, and with a stick knocked his hat off, and then ran for home, followed by the other three. Several of the listeners, resenting the impertinence, gave chase, and Oscar, in his hurry, collided with an aged cripple and threw him down, a fact which was duly reported to the boys when we got safely back. Oscar was afterwards heard telling how he found his way barred by an angry giant, with whom he fought through many rounds and whom he eventually left for dead in the road, after accomplishing prodigies of valour on his redoubtable opponent. 
Romantic imagination was strong in him, even in those schoolboy days, but there was always something in his telling of such a tale to suggest that he felt his hearers were not really being taken in. It was merely the romancing indulged in so humorously by the two principal male characters in The Importance of Being Earnest. He never took any interest in mathematics, either at school or college. He laughed at science, and never had a good word for a mathematical or science master. But there was nothing spiteful or malignant in anything he said against them, or indeed against anybody. The romances that impressed him most when at school were Disraeli's novels. He spoke slightingly of Dickens as a novelist. The classics absorbed almost his whole attention in his later school days, and the flowing beauty of his oral translations in class, whether of Thucydides, Plato, or Virgil, was a thing not easily to be forgotten. This photograph, so to speak, of Oscar as a schoolboy is astonishingly clear and lifelike but I have another portrait of him from another contemporary, who has since made for himself a high name as a scholar at Trinity, which, while confirming the general traits sketched by Sir Edward Sullivan, takes somewhat more notice of certain mental qualities which came later to the fruiting. This observer, who does not wish his name given, writes, Oscar had a pungent wit, and nearly all the nicknames in the school were given by him. He was very good on the literary side of scholarship, with a special leaning to poetry. We noticed that he always liked to have editions of the classics that were of stately size with large print. He was more careful in his dress than any other boy. He was a wide reader, and read very fast indeed. How much he assimilated I could never make out. He was poor at music. We thought him a fair scholar, but nothing extraordinary. However, he startled everyone the last year at school in the classical medal examination by walking easily away from us all in the viva voce of the Greek play, the Agamemnon. I may now try and accentuate a tray or two of these photographs, so to speak, and then realise the whole portrait by adding an account given to me by Oscar himself. The joy in humorous romancing and the sweetness of temper recorded by Sir Edward Sullivan were marked traits in Oscar's character all through his life. His care in dressing, too, and his delight in stately editions his love of literature, with a special leaning to poetry, were all qualities which distinguished him to the end. "'Until the last year of my school life at Portora,' he said to me once, "'I had nothing like the reputation of my brother Willie. I read too many English novels, too much poetry, dreamed away too much time to master the school tasks.' knowledge came to me through pleasure as it always comes i imagine i was nearly sixteen when the wonder and beauty of the old greek life began to dawn upon me 
suddenly i seemed to see the white figures throwing purple shadows on the sun-baked palaestra bands of nude youths and maidens you remember gautier's words moving against a background of deep blue as on the frieze of the parthenon i began to read greek eagerly for love of it all and the more i read the more i was enthralled oh what golden hours were for us as we sat together there while the white vests of the chorus seemed to wave up a light air while the cotherns trod majestic down the deep iambic lines and the rolling anapestics curled like vapour over shrines the headmaster was always holding my brother willie up to me as an example but even he admitted that in my last year at portora i had made astounding progress i laid the foundation there of whatever classical scholarship i possess it occurred to me once to ask oscar in later years whether the boarding-school life of a great public school was not responsible for a good deal of sensual viciousness englishmen all say so he replied but it did not enter into my experience i was very childish frank a mere boy till i was over sixteen of course i was sensual and curious as boys are and had the usual boy imaginings but i did not indulge in them excessively at portora nine out of ten boys only thought of football or cricket or rowing nearly every one went in for athletics running and jumping and so forth no one appeared to care for sex we were healthy young barbarians and that was all did you go in for games i asked no oscar replied smiling i never liked to kick or be kicked surely you went about with some younger boy did you not to whom you told your dreams and hopes and whom you grew to care for the question led to an intimate personal confession which may take its place here it is strange you should have mentioned it he said there was one boy and he added slowly one peculiar incident it occurred in my last year at portora the boy was a couple of years younger than i we were great friends we used to take long walks together and i talked to him interminably i told him what i should have done had i been alexander or how i'd have played king in athens had i been alcibiades as early as i can remember i used to identify myself with every distinguished character i read about but when i was fifteen or sixteen i noticed with some wonder that i could think of myself as alcibiades or sophocles more easily than as alexander or caesar the life of books had begun to interest me more than real life my friend had a wonderful gift for listening i was so occupied with talking and telling about myself that i knew very little about him curiously little when i come to think of it 
but the last incident of my school life makes me think he was a sort of mute poet and had much more in him than i imagined it was just before i first heard that i had won an exhibition and was to go to trinity dr steele had called me into his study to tell me the great news he was very glad he said and insisted that it was all due to my last year's hard work the hard work had been very interesting to me or i would not have done much of it the doctor wound up i remember by assuring me that if i went on studying as i had been studying during the last year i might do as well as my brother willie and be as great an honour to the school and everybody connected with it as he had been this made me smile for though i liked willie and knew he was a fairly good scholar i never for a moment regarded him as my equal in any intellectual field he knew all about football and cricket and studied the school books assiduously whereas i read everything that pleased me and in my own opinion always went about crowned here he laughed charmingly with amused deprecation of the conceit it was only about the quality of the crown frank that i was in any doubt if i had been offered the triple tiara it would have appeared to me only the meet reward of my extraordinary merit when i came out from the doctors i hurried to my friend to tell him all the wonderful news to my surprise he was cold and said a little bitterly i thought you seem glad to go glad to go i cried i should think i was fancy going to trinity college dublin from this place why i shall meet men and not boys of course i am glad wild with delight the first step to oxford and fame i mean my chum went on still in the same cold way you seem glad to leave me his tone startled me you silly fellow i exclaimed of course not i'm always glad to be with you but perhaps you will be coming up to trinity too won't you i'm afraid not he said but i shall come to dublin frequently then we shall meet i remarked you must come and see me in my rooms my father will give me a room to myself in our house and you know merrion square is the best part of dublin you must come and see me he looked up at me with yearning sad regretful eyes but the future was beckoning to me and i could not help talking about it for the golden key of wonderland was in my hand and i was wild with desires and hopes my friend was very silent i remember and only interrupted me to ask when do you go oscar early i replied thoughtlessly or rather full of my own thoughts early to-morrow morning i believe the usual train in the morning just as i was starting for the station having said good-bye to everyone he came up to me very pale and strangely quiet i'm coming with you to the station oscar he said the doctor gave me permission when i told him what friends we had been i'm glad 
i cried my conscience pricking me that i had not thought of asking for his company i'm very glad my last hours at school will always be associated with you he just glanced up at me and the glance surprised me it was like a dog looks at one but my own hopes soon took possession of me again and i can only remember being vaguely surprised by the appeal in his regard when i was settled in my seat in the train he did not say good-bye and go and leave me to my dreams but brought me papers and things and hung about the guard came and said now sir if you are going i liked the sir to my surprise my friend jumped into the carriage and said all right guard i'm not going but i shall slip out as soon as you whistle the guard touched his cap and went i said something i don't know what i was a little embarrassed you will write to me oscar won't you and tell me about everything oh yes i replied as soon as i get settled down you know there will be such a lot to do at first and i am wild to see everything i wonder how the professors will treat me i do hope they will not be fools or prigs what a pity it is that all professors are not poets and so i went on merrily when suddenly the whistle sounded and a moment afterwards the train began to move you must go now i said to him yes he replied in a queer muffled voice while standing with his hand on the door of the carriage suddenly he turned to me and cried oh oscar and before i knew what he was doing he had caught my face in his hot hands and kissed me on the lips the next moment he had slipped out of the door and was gone i sat there all shaken suddenly i became aware of cold sticky drops trickling down my face his tears they affected me strangely as i wiped them off i said to myself in amaze this is love this is what he meant love i was trembling all over for a long while i sat unable to think all shaken with wonder and remorse end of chapter 2 recording by martin geeson in hazelmere surrey